0: Well, good evening, everybody. It is Wednesday night, and it is time for some Deep Dive Bible study. Can you believe this is now episode 26 of season five on the Deep Dive? Used to be the Deep End was one show, now it's two last night we took on the abortion debate right now the roe v wade issue and we talked about what's happening in our government regarding that and today and this is why i love doing both shows is because today we're going into the bible and we're dealing with one of the bible passages that i really don't like did you know that some pastors don't like certain bible passages believe it or not there are some where we say i don't want to preach this text And this is one for me. I'm gonna need special grace today as we get into Romans chapter 13. And all that I ask for you is a simple like, share, or subscribe of the content here. We're so glad that everybody joins us. Let me know you're here down below or to the right in the chat. Give me the thumbs up for the video. When we last left off in Romans, we were talking about how we relate to each other and those seven key characteristics of genuine love, and discerning, and devoted love, and honoring each other, and passionate for God's work, and hopeful, and enduring, and all tribulation, and then generous and hospitable. And, 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 you know what, it was really wonderful to teach that text because it was dealing with how we relate to each other. But today, it's a different content. It's about how Christians relate to the government. And I, again, I'm going to need your prayers. <laughs> I'm going to need your prayers for this one because this one's a tough one for me because I, if you watch the deep end at all, you know that I challenge the government. So let's pray for me and for you that we can hear this and receive it as we head into Romans 13. Father God, speak and help me, Lord, to teach God, to teach your people your truth, to receive it myself, to exhibit it, and Lord God, in Jesus' name, to love you through it. Amen. Let's go. All righty then, how Christians are to regard government, Ugh. <laughs> these past two years have challenged us immensely. I believe they've also exposed some weaknesses in regards to the church's relationship to the government. For instance, do we follow governmental mandates without question? Like that was a challenge for the last two plus years. Uh, during the COVID pandemic, right? And I don't think, and I think it's pretty obvious, that we handled things very well, nor do I think we did so in a unified fashion. And coming out of the pandemic, I think that the rubber has really, i am mean, not the rubber, the wheat has been separated from the chaff in so many ways regarding the church. So some questions that we were faced with these last two years. Do we follow governmental mandated limitations on gathering for public worship, a.k.a. the lockdowns? Do we follow without question governmental mandates regarding masks, even when it might inhibit someone's physical condition concerning their lungs or breathing capacities? Do we follow mandates regarding vaccinations when many Christians have sincere Problems by ing- about injecting a vaccine that may have been made or fabricated through the use of aborted baby parts. These are important questions. They are key challenges to our lives over the last two years. And there are really no easy answers in many of these areas. But there is a biblical standard when it comes to the church's relationship to government. And so we approach this text today in, Hebrew, in Romans 13 asking God humbly give us understanding because we want to be foundationally good citizens, right? No, Nobody who's a Christian wants to say, I really just want to be a pain in the neck to everybody around me. No, no, we, we want to fulfill the two great commandments, love the Lord and love our neighbor. And so while we attempt to love our neighbor and work hard at that, there's going to be challenges that demand for us to have a, an approach to our neighbor. And in this case, our neighbor might be the government over our neighbor and uh, that, 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 that coordinates our relationship to our neighbor that we're going to have to start asking God, give us discernment in these times because, and I hear, here's why here's, let me, let me lean in here. It's going to get probably more confusing, not less. It's probably going to get more challenging, not less Because as I said, COVID in this last two years have exposed a lot in the church, a lot of holes in our theology regarding government authority. So with all that in mind, let's get into what it meant. what it meant Romans chapter 13 let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God that is just the first verse and that verse enough is enough to make me ill Because I watch the government hurt people, and I just get so mad. Anyway, let's go back, though. Before we do that, let's go back to uh, Romans chapter 12, 1, Because remember, it was the big therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holding us at the book of God. So this idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, that is unpacked, then, as how in, 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 several, in several key areas from verse three of Romans 12 on. So verse three is about how do we see ourselves? And the answer is not more highly than we ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure that God of grace, of faith, that God has assigned. Then verse four, then we have to see ourselves as members of one body. We don't all have the same function. So I am part of a body. I cannot do church alone. I cannot do Christianity alone. Then verse nine, uh, how do I relate to my brothers and sisters in the faith? Loving one another with brotherly affection. Again, all of those wonderful key attributes of the Christian faith. Then verse 14, if we skip all the way down here. Bless those who persecute you. How do we relate to not our Christian brothers, but our enemies and those who hate us? And skipping down to verse 17, don't repay evil for evil. And then Uh, Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all people and then never avenge yourselves. I mean, these are relationship structures that, that Paul is unpacking because the gospel shapes relationships, okay? Say it with me. The gospel shapes relationships. I know you didn't say it. Don't worry about it. That's the primary goal on a horizontal level of the gospel. After the goal of the gospel to make us right with God, remember, all that energy that we would have to have used to make ourselves acceptable to God is now available to us because Jesus has done it all. Jesus paid it all. Our vertical relationship with God is settled forever. No condemnation, no separation in Christ Jesus. But now that energy can go horizontally. It can go outward. And we have to examine the responsibility that we have toward ourselves, toward our brothers in Christ, our church, our neighbors, and our enemies. And now the government. So, that first verse again, let every person be subject. And that that word subject is key, okay, because the word subject in Greek is uh, hypotasso, hypotasso. And um, it's not the word for obedience outright. It's the word for to be in submission to, hypotasso, I think, yes. So Paul, first off, is not saying let every person obey governing authorities blindly, Look, let's just get that off the table right now because that's why this verse is hard for me. No, he is not saying obey government blindly. He's saying live in subjection, be submissive. Live in a submissive way to your governing authorities. Okay, now the four is the, why, the reason, the why behind the why. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist, those what? Those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Now this is why studying the Bible is so important because what is happening here is scripture is teaching us to understand where government comes from. And the answer from verse one of Romans 13 is, government is God's idea. Now I know you don't think that because as Christians and American Christians, especially as we look at our government right now, we could say this does not look very godly at all. But originally, Government was enacted by God in Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, God, to prevent or restrain further evil and further decontamination of the human uh, community, established the first principle of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, right? That's what he says to Noah. The Noahic covenant is an establishment of there are penalties for murder. There are penalties for disrespecting each other, okay? Dishonoring each other, mistreating each other. God instituted authority in government. Now, he says this in verse two, therefore, whoever resists authorities, the authorities resist what God has appointed and those who will resist will incur judgment. Okay, let me talk about authority for a moment because some, not some, I have run into many Christians who act more like non-Christians in relationship to authority than Christians. There is a vein or a strain of Christianity. It is toxic. It is godless. It is not appropriate. It is exhibited in both the left and right political ends of our country right now, where we think that in the name of Christ, we are allowed to disrespect and reject the civil order of our government, a.k.a. riots, burning down buildings and police stations in the 2020 summer riots or aka attacking the capital of the United States and smashing windows and acting like a riotous mob can i tell you and will you receive this that both ends of that extreme are wrong and disconnected from scriptural authority god is a god of authority You have got to believe that he is a God who operates under the reign of his own authority. And in the creation narrative, Genesis chapter one, he gives the sun authority over the day, the moon authority over the night, right? He gives man authority over the plants and the animals and the fish and the, and the birds. He, he's uh, he gives the husband Adam authority over the spiritual caretaking of the, of, of the wife and the family. All throughout the first two chapters of your Bible, authority, 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 authority. God delegates authority, and then listen to this: God, dis- God judges those who despise authority. I give you first, second uh, Peter two nine to ten. The Lord knows how to rescue those, how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passion, and despise authority. Look at how p- Peter equates the lust of the flesh with those who despise authority. So there is an equal offense in the eyes of God for those who embrace the lust of the flesh as well with those who despise authority. Note, doesn't say biblical authority here, it doesn't say governmental authority, it doesn't say household authority, it just says despise authority. What I'm trying to tell you is authority is God's idea and it is necessary. God operated under authority in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of his own accord, a.k.a. I am under authority. I can only do what I see the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. I follow the authority. I live under the authority of my father. And God has established three, one, two, three separate institutions of authority over humanity. So humanity itself has authority over the world. We are to caretake creation. We are to guard creation. We are to protect creation. I am all on board for that. We should not rape creation. We should not destroy creation. We should <clears throat> cultivate it, harvest it, use it, uh, leverage it, maintain it, right? But who has authority over that authority? The, the, the human authority over the world will be disastrous if there's not authority over the humans that are in authority over the world. So are you following me there so far? Now, now here's the three institutions that God has provided. The home, that's in Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 25, where God creates Adam and then he gives him a wife. First, he gives him a job, named the animals, and then he uh, puts him to sleep and then he wakes him up to a new wife, right? So there's authority in the home. The man has spiritual authority over the wife. Wives, submit to your husbands because they are in authority. The hunt, uh, that's, Ephesians 5, and then the head of every woman is the man. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Then secondly is the government. So the government is God's authority instituted in the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 9. So by the blood of man shall man's blood be shed, right? If you shed the blood of a man, your blood shall be shed. That's government. And then thirdly is the church, Acts chapter 2. Jesus gives authority spiritually in the church over when he says to the disciples, he says over scorpions and serpents and snakes, nothing shall harm you. He's talking about the spiritual authority we have over the uh, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he establishes in Ephesians chapter 4 pastors and teachers, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. He talks about obey your leaders, uh, in first Timothy three overseers, Titus three, one overseers over the church, elders who rule There is spiritual authority within the authority of the church. This is all God's idea. And those three structures, I'm going to tell you right now, all of them are under attack right now and in every age throughout human history. What is happening as gender confusion is foisted upon our children through educational systems and media entertainment options, but the authority of the home. So now mom and dad's authority are undermined as very weird and confused elementary school teachers indoctrinate or try or attempt to indoctrinate kids into gender and sexual confusion. Then we even had our own president say a few weeks ago to the teachers' unions, uh, when they're at school, they're your kids. I was shocked when I heard that. I tweeted out, absolutely not. When my kids are at school, they're still my kids. And when my kids are at home, they're my kids. They are always your kids. And this is scriptural. Children, obey your parents, for this is right, Ephesians chapter six. Then there is governmental authority, and that is the authority of the government that has been, uh, and this has been under attack for as long as government has been around as well because we see right now there's always constant complaints there are news media outlets that attack both the right and the left it doesn't matter who's in office democrat republican there's always someone just completely you know destroying that person they tearing them down vilifying them I, I do believe it is far more left-wing narrative there than right-wing narrative but nonetheless both sides are guilty of undermining the authority of government and then the church man the church's authority is under attack all the time when pastors are disrespected, when leaders in the church are not listened to, when people just jump from church to church to church with their own little problems of sin, they don't want to deal with their sinful nature, so they just jump out of church, into church, out of church, into church. And let me say something to anybody who has a church and you're just struggling with what the church is teaching. Can I tell you? Two tests. Are they telling you what's in the Bible? And if they're telling you what's in the Bible, the problem is you, not, not the Bible and not the church. And it's not about how they say it either. Like some people say, well, I just don't want him to say it that way. Well, so what? He's, he's saying it. I guarantee you, you wouldn't like how Paul said some things to the Corinthians uh, or how he says to the Galatians, right? What does he say? That the people who are uh, instituting circumcision for salvation should go ahead and emasculate themselves completely. Like that's strong language, right? That's, that's, that's harsh language. But it's, it's very f- uh, literal harsh language for a reason, To in to teach and lead the church strongly. But the church's authority is under attack. The government's authority is under attack. And the home's authority is under attack. And do you know why? Because the God of this world hates authority. He is in this world because he rejected the authority of heaven. God cast him out like lightning from heaven down to this earth. And he has been the God of chaos and confusion ever since. And he undermined the authority of God's word in the garden by going after the woman and not the man who is not in authority. And the man who sat there, Adam sat there and watched the conversation go down between the wife and a snake was absent, physically present, but spiritually absent and all hell broke loose upon the human race. And creation suffers and children suffer and nations suffer and you suffer because of sin, because of sin that came upon the human race through Adam's disobedient nature regarding his wife as he watched the serpent undermine the authority of God in the life of his family. Boom. The whole world, the whole world is suffering because of a rejection of authority. That's why these verses in Romans 13 are so important. So remember what he says here. No authority is in place except from God. It is God's idea. Let me give you some verses that back this up. Daniel four seventeen: Know that the most high rules, the kingdoms of men, and gives it to whom he will and sets over it, The lowliest of men. Some people say right now, this current president of the United States, his mental capacity is not there. He seems diminutive. He seems maybe completely out of touch. Well, I don't know what your view is about how he got there. And I'm not going to go there. My point is, is that he is there. And even the lowliest of men sometimes get authority from God. I don't understand God's ways all the time and neither do you. And it's not our job to always understand God. It is our job to trust God even when what God institutes seems to be misplaced. He's God. He knows what he's doing. We'll get to that more in just a moment. So verse three, he says this, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Now this is important. Notice the first phrase here, not a terror to good conduct. They are a terror to bad conduct. So would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. Now again, notice, notice there is no blind call to allegiance. Allegiance. There is a call to do what is good. In other words, be a good citizen. Do what is good. Help others. Love others. Be generous, kind. Be be gracious. And you will receive his approval. Note again, again, I just want to make sure we bear in here. It is not blind allegiance to the governmental authorities. It is living as a good citizen under their authority. Okay? (coughs) Excuse me. For he is God's, verse 4, servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The ultimate aim of government, guys, is to make sure that people keep working cooperatively. That's really the ultimate aim of government. I know that there is a great argument, a great discussion being had in our political discourse about what should government do? Should it provide health care? Should it provide uh, human services? Should it provide, uh, you know, tax breaks for the poor the marginalized should it should it uh, apply you know should it have more involvement in your life or should it have less and that's a great conversation that's a great debate that's the american debate well there's a, there's no debate in many other countries about that the government basically runs everybody's life in many countries like north korea and china and other parts of the world right we have a great we have a far better system here i don't want to say it's a great system i say it's a far better system than other tyrannical or dictatorial authority figure uh you know centric governments across the world but what the aim is according to scripture for government is keep people working cooperatively why is punishment necessary why does he bear the sword not in vain he has a purpose to the sword why because the human will is so evil if left unchecked it would make human cooperation and human civilization impossible When we look at the Old Testament, we look at particularly the book of Genesis, God had to literally eliminate entire cities because there was no restraint of evil because the governments were that weak or that disrespected or that dishonored. before Noah, before there was government, the whole world had to be wiped out. Think about that before government, the world had to be wiped out because that's how bad the human condition had become. There was no restraint over evil. You say, I don't believe that about the human condition. That's because you don't have kids. That's because you still have yet to have a child in your house. (laughs) <laughs> you want to look up a good old movie look up children of the corn and watch that movie and, and you you see this expression of what happens when children run the show children are an expression of the human condition we are born in sin we are born sinners and humans yeah, little humans exhibit the human will that is unrestrained and needs the threat of punishment to restrain it you can counsel with your child and conversate with your child and try to have a good relationship with you all you want. There has to be punishment at some point. There has to be punishment. And, you know, there can be a great debate about whether that's, you know, physical punishment or just, you know, some other kind of milder punishment. Great debate to be had there. I'm not here to give you my opinion on that. I'm here to give you the idea that there has to be punishment. There has to be some threat that restrains bad behavior and I think it's a case of kid by kid you, you could have a kid that responds to spankings but doesn't and then another kid that doesn't and you got to have a, 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 a wisdom and a mindset from God on how to do that but right now in our country we're seeing stores getting ransacked in several parts of the country and especially in the inner city areas in the urban areas because those community leaders have removed the threat of punishment they have they have taken felonies and removed felony uh, convictions from shoplifting and what has it produced more shoplifting. The government's role is to restrain that evil. This is so important. And it's so in, important for us to understand as Christians that, that that's government's role because of, the, because of the nature of the human heart. The human heart is so wicked. Humans left unrestrained would destroy themselves. And many times in the Old Testament, God had to wipe out entire civilizations because of that very thing. That's why you have holy war, In the book of Joshua, when God says, I've allowed these people 400 years to repent, 400 years to get their lives together. They have not. Now you, Israel, through Joshua and through the holy conquest of Canaan, you're going to be my right hand of punishment upon these nations and they're going to wipe them out. They're supposed to wipe them out. They didn't wipe them out. And then their corruption got into Israel and eventually Israel was handed over to our enemies. This is why we need a restrainer of evil. And that is what government is. Now... Um, he goes on here in verse five. Let's take a look at this. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now I have here on the screen this phrase. God does not ask us to respect what every authority figure embodies or does. We can't do that. That's impossible. But he does ask us to respect the office of the authority figure. You might not respect your president. You might not respect your government. Governor, you might not respect your senator, and some of them are not worthy of respect. I am, I've i got to be honest with you, but we do respect the office. And by respect, I mean you acknowledge that it is an authority in place by God and that God is going to somehow use that authority to hopefully restrain evil and provide common good so that human beings can cooperate in a world that is separated in large part from the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? More people are disbelievers or unbelievers than believers. And I think we got to remember that. That's why you need government. So verse six, he says this. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Everybody's favorite verse. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, he says this. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. So he's made them servants and now ministers of God. intending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom revenue revenue is owed respect to whom respect is owed honor to whom honor is owed okay i do not appreciate people who brag about avoiding taxes i don't appreciate that and i mean and i'm not talking about having uh justifiable um tax deductions i'm not talking about that i'm talking about those who brag about illegally avoiding taxes you, that is not something to brag about. That is something that the scriptures actually disdain. Jesus Himself said, "Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's." Uh, here He is very clear: pay taxes. When we pay taxes, we are doing our due diligence as citizens to provide support for the government so that the government can help us all cooperate. Does the government waste money? Yes. Is the government wasting more and more money? Yeah. Forty billion to Ukraine right now, and the annual budget of Ukraine is six billion. I don't know how that makes sense. Something's fishy about all that but God is over the authority that is over us. And that is our fundamental thought there. That is, our, that is the one thing that gives me peace with all this crazy that's going on right now in our governmental authority. We may not agree with all that is done with the money that we pay in taxes, but we dare not violate our conscience by refusing to pay. We, we, we've got to pay what is due to whom we are owed payment or who, to whom we owe payment. So, so this is the grand plan here or the grand picture of authority in the government. Okay. Now Paul is going to shift gears like on a dime in verse eight in Romans chapter 13. And I want to show you where he goes here. Watch this on the heels of talking about government. He says this, oh, no one, anything. Oh, no one, anything. Okay. Let's stop there. Is debt sinful? Because it says, oh, no one, anything. So. Is debt itself a sin? Couple things. Number one, no, it's not all sin because even in Jesus' parables, it talks about putting things on in the bank and earning interest, how does a bank earn interest through debt collection, right? Secondly, there are calls to be, uh, for interest to be paid in the Proverbs and in the law. But what is sinful? is exploitation of interest exploitation of debt i give you exodus 22 verse 25 if you lend money to any of my people with who who is uh, with you who is poor you shall not be like a money lender him you shall not exact interest from him if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge you shall return it to him before the sun goes down because that's oftentimes all they had to sleep with for that is his only covering and it is cloak for his body and what else shall he sleep And if he cries to me, I will hear him for I am compassionate. In other words, do not practice excessive usury against your neighbor and especially toward your brother and no usury toward the poor. Now, what do credit card companies do? They do the exact opposite. This is why you have to avoid credit card debt at all costs. You have to avoid a lot of debt. Most debt is enslavement. That's what scripture says in the Proverbs. The the borrower is slave to the lender. And you can go through Dave Ramsey's courses and you can explore and, 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 and gather around you some great wisdom there from, from many Christian financial advisors on how much you should be in debt and how much you shouldn't be in debt and what debts to avoid and how to pay off those debts. The point is though that the scripture here in Romans chapter 13 verse eight is not really about debt being sinful but realizing that the debt that we do have is to love each other, okay? we got to love that that while the world operates in the realm of debt and what people owe you and how we owe respect and all you know whatever else we owe to somebody's well what the bible wants God's people to do is live in constant debt of love love. I have a, I have a debt to pay you today. And that is love. Why? Because you are made in God's image. You are my, you are my brother or sister in Christ. We are both going to heaven. We are, we are here to fulfill the two great commandments of scripture and the great commission of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? They shall know you are my disciples by my, by your love for one another. So our debt is toward each other to love one another. Then it says this for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment, are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Okay, what did Jesus teach? In John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, that's not new. That part's not new. The second part is new. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, love one another that's the newness of that command. There was love one another in the Old Testament. That's as old as the Old Testament. That's as old as the book of Leviticus. But as I have loved you, as Jesus loved me, I've got to love others. That is why, friends, we are always in debt of love toward one another. Now, it's not a bondage of debt. It's not a, it's not a debt of weightiness. It's a, it's a debt of I have been so enormously loved by God that if I am not expressively loving my neighbor and my brother and sister in Christ, can I, can I actually declare that I have received that love, that I have embodied that love, right? To, 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 know, to know the love of Christ is to express that love to others. And really what Paul is saying to the church here, Right. Is when we live like this, when we live like this, the world sees something in us and what it sees is exceptional citizenship. And that is how you make an impact on society. That is how the church had impact upon the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries. Rodney Stark, we talked about this. He wrote the book, The Rise of Christianity, and, and many others have talked about the influence of Christianity to provide, you know, housing for the poor and care for widows and orphans and you know hospitals. Pretty much all the idea, the brain brainchildren of, of Christians and missionaries and wherever the gospel goes and Christians go. Exceptional citizenship follows and the well being of the marginalized in the society flourishes. This is what the world needs to see from us. Not bitterly complaining and constantly lobbing bombs at other people because they voted differently than us, think differently than us, or look differently than us. Yes, there are Christian standards, but this is what I always think like, we will convince them the Bible, well, I'm going to say this a bit more clear a little bit more carefully. We will exemplify. <laughs> did you notice the change in term there? We will exemplify that the Bible is is good when our citizenship is good to those who don't believe it. Does that make sense? And yes, I changed convinced to exemplify because we cannot convince others that Jesus is the way by the way we love. We can't convince them that we're Christians by our love, but only the Holy Spirit can bring the heart back to life. Only the, the, the regeneration necessary inside to bring belief to the unbeliever. That's the Holy Spirit's work. He does it through the preaching of the word. Now, I'm just trying to make sure that we get that clear. But anyway, that the, the, the Bible will be exemplified as true. And good to unbelievers when our citizenship is good to unbelievers. Okay. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Now this is an important phrase. That the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. The word that the hour has come. These are, these are um, end times eschatological terms, the hour has come, the day, the hour, right? Jesus talks about no one knows the day and the hour. Those terms are always talking about the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, you know, the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. So this is a a call to regard that we are in a new age, that the new age of the church and God's operation through the church under the auspices of, of government in the world is now here. That time has come. So now what? wake up from sleep understand the age in which you live that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. that means we are closer to jesus's return than ever before in every moment that passes we are still closer and closer and closer and verse 12 it says this the night is far gone the day is at hand that, again the day and the hour these are eschatological terms these are end times terms that fancy word eschatological just means referring to the time of the end the last days The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. First thing he says in light of all this is wake up. Wake up to what? To the reality that that Jesus' victory over hell and death have secured for the church eternal peace inside and eternal rest in our future. We are in a new era of God's redemptive purposes. That's why God does not rain down sulfur and brimstone on cities who disobey him anymore we're in a new era. God has chosen to work through the church as the salt of the earth and the light of the world to sprinkle about his grace and goodness and preserve nations and preserve peoples and preserve ethnicities and preserve human society through the church. Now the church is the salt through which God preserves the world. This is this is important for you to understand as so a wake up to who you are. Then secondly, clean up, okay? Let me write this down. Clean up. He says, "Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace. Get yourself rooted and grounded in the word. Get yourself deeper into Christ. Get yourself deeper into the gospel. Know who you are in him so that these worldly powers and these worldly wars and issues and conflicts will not get into your spirit. Get rid of the greed and self-interest that you see so prevalent in your society. Get rid of the lust and the materialism that you see so, so, so prevalent in society because you are no longer part of this world. You are the salt and you, if you lose your saltiness, you are no longer good for anything. You need to stay awake. You need to stay clean. And then lastly, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Let me say this last one. Uh, If it was wake up and clean up, the last one is, are you ready? Grow up. (laughs) Grow up. So all of these things that he lists, orgies and drunkenness, sexual morality, sensuality. When do people typically in their lifetime do those things? When they're children, when they're adolescents, in their 20s heaven forbid in their thirties, heaven really forbid in their forties, right? When are we quarrelsome and jealous when we're children? That's what children do. Children act this way. Christians, you're not children. It's time to grow up. It's It's time to stop allowing the flesh to rule and reign over your existence. Put on the Lord Jesus. You say, how do I do that practically, Pastor Tim? How do I put on the Lord Jesus? Well, first you repent of sin. You say, Lord Jesus, this is not good in my life. Jealousy, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm bitter. This is not of you. This is not from the Spirit. I reject this. I renounce it in Jesus' name. And then you ask, Holy Spirit, fill me with love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, right? We want those fruits to be born in our lives through the Holy Spirit so that when people see us, they see a peaceableness. That can only be the work of Jesus Christ in us through the person of the Holy Spirit because we are saturated in the love of our Father. Let's get into what it means. Wow, I really butchered that. Let's get into what it means. Okay, what it means. (laughs) What it means. So remember that I said that that god's institutions for order in the world for for people to get along and just be cooperative the home the government the church and all three are under attack right now and have always been under attack we are not ignorant of that how this is an important question now how should the church and god's people and the home respond to the government so so How does the home and the church respond to this often misguided and sometimes severely off-target institution that is also also established by God? Okay, such an important question. I'm pretty sure that I could check your Facebook feed or Twitter feed and figure out what side you're on (laughs) with regards to the church-state relationship. Well, I bring you to John Stott's four views of the church-state relationship. John Stott, a great uh, 20th century theologian, I think he's dead now, love his writing. You should read a lot of John Stott. Four views that he presents. Uh, This is Erastanianism uh, from the Swiss theologian Thomas Erastus. Erastus argued that the sins committed by Christians, he was a Swiss theologian, so the Swiss sins committed by Christians should be punished by the state and that the church should not withhold sacraments as a form of punishment uh, upon its citizens, upon the state citizens. Uh, so we get arrestanism John Stock gets arrestanism from this. That is that the state controls the church. This, by the way, has been the, um, the view of many a dictator. This is what uh, President Xi in China is doing. You could say President Xi, dictator Xi. There is a state-sponsored church, and then there is the true underground church, but there is a state-sponsored church where President Xi basically picks and chooses the bishops and the priests and all that kind of stuff. That's Erastanianism. Then there is theocracy. That is the church controls the state. Now, this is Anglicanism. This is Great Britain. This is, uh, in some respects, let's see, let me think. Spain and ancient Rome, of course, not ancient Rome, you know, modern Rome the Vatican, m- many others. And then there is Constantinism. Constantine, the Roman emperor who m- made Christianity the official state church of Rome. Constantinism believes that the state favors the church and the church accommodates the state. You know who uh, embodied this in Jesus' time was the Sadducees. The Saddu- I would say the Sadducees were Constantinists, even though Constantine would come 300 years later, because the Sadducees, you know, they, they appreciated the favor of Herod, the, the, the Roman governor of Judea. They, they were favored by him because they supported his uh, leadership. And they cited another name for them, or there's another sect called the Herodians. They actually named themselves after Herod because they so supported this state. They accommodated the state, and then therefore the state favored their membership. That's how they got power. Number four, and this is the one that John Stott believes is the right one, this is partnership. This is where the state and church have a respectable recognition for each other. Each of them understand their God-given role in society and collaboration occurs. So the state understands what it should do. The church understands what it should do. And they shouldn't attack and vilify each other. They should work cooperatively together and, and, and encourage each other and, and make allowances for each other to do what each other has to do. But they both have to understand which other, which, other, what each other has to do to make sure that human— Cooperation can exist. Now here's the here's the, here's the key question for, for me and for you. Where on the spectrum are you with regard to government? Government's role in your life. Now I wanna put a spectrum up here on the screen. On the far left is unquestioned compliance. You will do whatever the state says. So you were double masking as soon as Dr. Fauci said double mask. If he said put 20 on, you would have put 20 on. Okay, that's unquestioned compliance. Now, if you're on the far right over here, you're on unappeasable complaints. You're never satisfied with government. Everybody stinks. You're probably the libertarian. You think the government should just get out of my life. You are uh, uh, Ron from Parks and Recreation. What's his last name? Ron. Let me know in the comments below. What's his name? Ron. Oh, my goodness. Ron. Ron Swanson. There we go. Give me enough time. I'll get it. Ron Swanson. Now, in the middle is what I think is the best option. Unintimidated convictions. Unintimidated convictions. What do I mean by that? That means that you can have your Christian convictions and you operate according to them and you don't let the government draw you away into unquestioned compliance because that's bad, nor into this spirit of unappeasable complaining where you are just always upset with government. I'll let you know where I fall. I fall right over here. (laughs) I mean, that should be pretty obvious to anybody who watches any of my content. And yes, the Lord needs to change me. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that. We all need work here where we can get to that point where we understand that there is a place to live in government where we don't allow government to be this God in our lives. And at the same time, we don't allow government to be the demon of our lives. Both are extremes. Let me ask you some questions because this is how you're going to understand where you are. If you cannot critique your own political party or your own political party's leader, you are over here. You know, you know what I'm saying? If you are a diehard MAGAite and you cannot see anything wrong with Donald Trump, you are over on the you are over on this side. If you are a diehard liberal Democrat and you think everything that Joe Biden is doing is right, and you're one of these progressive Christians who think we gotta fight for an argument to make abortion legal. Like you are over here. In your political affiliation, you are over here in your relationship to the government. And that is also wrong. If all you do, however, is complain and criticize the government, you are over here on this side of the spectrum. And and let me ask you this question. Do you watch the news only to find out what the government is doing wrong today? Like that is also a extremism that needs to be avoided because the government And this is true. Let let me lean in. It's time for a lean in moment. Are you ready? Lean in. The government has a very complicated job. It has to try to work with Christians and non-Christians, Hindus and Jews, uh, atheists and agnostics, battered women and domineering husbands, uh, corporate corruption and governmental corruption. And it doesn't get everything right. No one can. Heavy lays the crown. Why? Because... The people are complicated and and christians we need a lot more grace uh, with regard to our view on government we really do now that being said there are times and the bible enunciates several times where god's people disregarded governmental mandates exodus chapter one when the midwives the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, did not kill the male children. They let them live. Then God blessed them and gave them families of their own. In the end, that's called civil disobedience. Another example, Daniel chapter 3, where the Chaldeans accused the Jews, and it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who didn't fall down and worship the idol and the image that he had set up. And it says this, that they said, these men pay no attention to you. They don't serve you guys or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said said to the king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. The God we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace, (coughs) excuse me, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if he doesn't, but if he does not deliver us, we will not serve your gods or worship the king, worship the idol that you have set up. So, so there is civil disobedience right there. Later in Daniel chapter six, when the satraps see that Daniel cannot be uh, torn down morally, except in the matters of the law of his God, they enact this law that no one can pr- pray to any God except Darius the Mede. And then this one says, when Daniel knew that the law had been signed, the document had been signed, he immediately goes up to his house, he opened the windows of his room, and he prayed toward Jerusalem on his knees three times, just as he'd done pre- previously. And that got him cast into the lion's But civil disobedience happened in the lives of many in the Old Testament. I can give you other examples, many other examples. In the New Testament, when Peter and John are told, don't preach anymore in Christ's name. And what does Peter say? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, ra- listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Later, same thing goes down in Acts 5. He says, we must obey God rather than man. Scores of evidence. In the scriptures, where the Bible gives permission and in fact gives admonition to God's people to civilly disobey. Now, their civil disobedience, listen, this is very careful. This is very important. Another lean in a moment. Their civil disobedience was never violent. In other words, they never attacked, they never shot, they never killed, they never stabbed, right? The only time that, that actually happened was Peter tried to slice off, tried to kill the servant of the high priest. He only sliced off his ear which is probably why Christians shouldn't try to do stuff like this because we stink at it. Anyway, (laughs) Jesus heals the guy's ear and says, put your sword away. So when we civilly disobey, my point is is that it's civil. It's not violent. It is not egregious, right? So summing all that up, there is a time for civil disobedience. Four times I think that scripture unpacks for us. Number one, when government incites violence against an innocent person, that's Exodus 1, and even the whole book of Esther. When, when, When Esther disobeys, the king's rule about not approaching him without the scepter being extended. She, she breaks that rule to intercede on behalf of her fellow Jews, right? So innocent people are gonna suffer. Civil disobedience was necessary. Number two, when government restricts worship, Nebuchadnezzar, and that, that then begs the question about masks and about worship gatherings being restricted because of COVID pandemic. And when do we say enough is enough? And what should our response be going forward? I mean, for me as a pastor, it was pretty obvious there was a lot of uh, chicanery going on around the government, around the whole pandemic. I saw it very early. I, I, I was reading uh, voraciously about all of the things, listening, 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 and something was not right, and I saw what it was, and we as a church opened under the restrictions that, that our state allowed at that time, but then I told the church we're never closing down for the COVID pandemic again. We will civilly disobey because we saw how much of an overreach government enacted upon the rights of citizens to worship, and I think of John MacArthur who opened his church in California against the mandates, and then they find him and find him and find him, and then he got a judgment in his favor because the First Amendment is still in place—that you cannot restrict worship—and the and the gov- the state, the uh, the uh, city of Los Angeles was forced to pay him something like eight hundred million dollars. It was it was amazing, judgment, or eight hundred thousand dollars—an amazing judgment, an amazing victory for a church that stood its ground as government restricted worship. Number three when government forces uncompromising allegiance to the state, that's Darius trying to force people to pray to him. And, and Daniel says, no. And if you have uncompromising allegiance without being forced, what does that say about you? (laughs) If you have uncompromising allegiance to Democrats or Republicans, and they're not even forcing you to, maybe you need repentance and, and not more worry about how bad the government is. Number four, when government restricts the exercise of evangelistic expression. Yes, there are times when you should just work and do your job and you shouldn't evangelize because you're being paid to do a job and you make an agreement, a contractual agreement with the employer to say, I'm gonna do this job and not witness all day. But outside of, those, outside of those environments and when I'm on my free time and when I'm in you know, civil you know, areas of the world, I can, I can tell people about my faith and nobody can put a law against that, right? Where there is public discourse available. So what do we ultimately need? We need what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. We need a church that exhibits exceptional citizenship. When we love one another, and live in debt of love toward one another, when we fulfill the great commandments of of caring for one another, when we live in the light of Jesus' return, that we're committed to radical generosity because we know that God is coming with His rewards. Jesus is coming with a reward. We will not lose our reward for everything that we do for Him. And when we do that, I think that the world sees a wor- the the world sees a church that's worth listening to. Movie recommendation time: Hacksaw Ridge. Have you watched this movie? It's a fantastic example of civil disobedience where Desmond Doss, a Christian soldier, practices conscientious objection to carrying a weapon during World War II. He saved the lives without a weapon. He saved the lives of fifty to one hundred wounded infantrymen on a very dangerous plot of land during World War II called Hacksaw Ridge. It was a story of incredible courage, and the movie is fantastic. I highly recommend it in light of what we're talking about today. Let me sum this up. The church must exhibit both a cooperation with civil authority and also have the courage to challenge them when necessary. The church must have a prophetic voice. And unfortunately, today's church has lost in large part its prophetic voice. And I think that is what I'm talking about when I say, A lot was exposed about the weaknesses of the church through the COVID pandemic, a lot was exposed. We lost our prophetic voice. And it's kind of shocking, it's kind of alarming. And we need to get it back. Let's talk about why all this matters. Why it matters because the home, the church, uh, sorry, the the government and the church, that's the order of establishment. By the way, this is the biblical order of establishment. First, the home is established. That's Genesis two, then the government, Genesis nine, then finally the church. Now think about this. Why in that order? why is that the order because the first and foremost thing that you need for any human society to flourish is a home a home with a mom and a dad and all of the statistics bear this out all the statistics bear it out that if you have a mom and a dad staying married societies cultures neighborhoods flourish Wherever that is undermined, wherever you have gender confusion and sexual immorality and adultery and polygamy and all kinds of divorce and remarriage and all kinds of stuff, you know, the, the Hollywood expression of family, you have the, t- the 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 deterioration of society. You cannot even have a functional government if you do not have a functional home. That's what I'm saying. Now, because governments will always corrupt themselves, you need a church. A church that will be salt and light in, in the under the auspices of the government. The church is not the steak, the church is the salt, right? The church is not the meat, the church is the salt that preserves the meat. That's why it doesn't take much salt to preserve meat. It doesn't take much church or Christians to preserve societies. This is a beautiful picture that Jesus painted for us in Matthew chapter 5 about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So all three of these institutions have to work. They have to work in cooperation. The church has to work in cooperation with the government and the government in cooperation with the home and the home in cooperation with the church and the church in cooperation with the home. There, there has to be, now look at this next, look at this next illustration. There has to be honor, honor from each to the other. The church has to honor the home by teaching husbands to be husbands, wives to be wives, teach what the scripture says about husbands and wives, not what culture accepts right the home has to honor the church obey your leaders they must give charge and give account for you they've got to teach you the words that you're healthy in mind and spirit but the church also has to honor the government doesn't doesn't try to undermine the government or reject the government or rebel against the government the government has to honor the church and that's why the american experiment is so amazing that we have the separation of church and state and yet even to this day, I know it doesn't feel like it, but even to this day, there still is a great amount of respect from the government to the church. It's just that what happens right now is the government tries to use, you know, the political sides of the church for its own benefits. And we got to watch out for that. I can't stand when I see Democratic leaders at certain churches preaching on Sunday. Likewise, I can't stand when I see Republican leaders showing up at churches on Sunday and basically turning a worship service into a campaign event. That is anathema to the gathering of the assembly people of Christ. We cannot turn our worship services and our worship expressions into political persuasive um, posturings. They have to be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, period, end of story. Okay? That being said, I do believe there is a space for pastors to instruct their people on what is happening politically so they can respond with discernment and righteousness, aka the deep end. (laughs) So, summing that up, government restrains evil, Churches preach the gospel and homes are established in biblical principles. And when those three things happen, human flourishing is possible. But unfortunately, what we are seeing right now is this is lacking, this is lacking, and this is lacking. If we do not get back to these fundamental realities of what the government exists for, what the church exists for what homes exist for, Uh, we're going to destroy ourselves. Unfortunately, today, churches have become motivational centers, self-help centers, not, not teaching and training centers, not teaching and training centers in the life of Jesus. What is the great commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach them whatsoever I have given you. Teach them to obey whatsoever I have taught you. And unfortunately, rather than teaching people, God's word churches have become either political centers or motivational me first individualized centers. And that must stop. we got to get back to preaching Christ. And then the homes are established in those biblical principles and those homes produce children, those children become governmental leaders and those governmental leaders restrain evil. They do not permit evil. You see how it all works together and it has to, it has to now more than ever before because we can see the deterioration happening in our country. And we've got to pray for a spiritual revival. We've got to pray for a, a Holy Ghost uh, awakening in the church in the gospel preaching of the church and in our homes and in our lives. Amen? Amen. I'm so glad that you were here. Today with me, I'm so glad that I can bring this content to you virtually through this device that you are watching me on. Like, share, subscribe, do all those things. And please, if you would, support the channel because we got bills to pay and it's not my salary because I have a job somewhere else. So don't worry about me, but we got bills to pay. Cash app, Tim TimHatchLive.com support. We are also on all kinds of social media channels. Make sure you're following us at Tim Hatch Live or forward slash Tim Hatch Live. And we just did this last week, but we'll be doing it in four weeks. 10 questions with Tim. Never too early to get your questions in. The earlier the question is in, the better chance that you have that I will take it. Then I will be back on the channel for the deep end next Tuesday night. Other than that, have a great night. God bless you in Jesus' name.